So some people were asking, uh, why didn't you do uh, do some sort of online ser service last last week? Uh, so, uh, and and my answer is number one, I didn't want to. I didn't want our staff to have to come in in the in the weather that was out there. And secondly, Daniel chapter two is too important for everyone not to hear it. Uh, because Daniel chapter 2 brings us our first major prophecy from Daniel. And, uh, and it's, it's a pivotal prophecy. And we finish in Daniel chapter 1, at the end of the chapter, uh, it, it says in verse 17, chapter 1 verse 17, and it says, Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. So, so here is Daniel. God has blessed him for what? Because he, he responded to God's word. Because he stood fast in God's word. Refused to eat the king's meat. Refused to drink the wine that had been offered to idols. And God blessed him, and it says they gave him ten times the wisdom of all the others. But Daniel, God gave him this special blessing of being able to interpret dreams. Now that would indicate to us that probably sometime before we get to chapter 2, Daniel's already been involved in interpreting dreams. Maybe not for the king, but... but People knew that he had this ability, and it was from who? It was from God. He didn't, he didn't have it on his own. It was a God-given ability that Daniel had. And, and as we come into chapter 2, God's going to say, Listen, Daniel, I gave you a gift and now I'm going to have you use it on a big scale. And you know something? We, God gives what? He gives us each one a gift, right? And God says, I want you to use your gift for my glory. And Daniel does this. So let's turn to Daniel chapter 2. And we're going to start out with the first five verses. Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, multiple dreams. And his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. And then the king gave orders to call all the magicians and the conjurers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. And then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants and we will declare to you the interpretation. And the king replied to the Chaldeans, The command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made into a rubbish heap. And we're going to stop there. We're going to stop there because 
is as we look at this, have you ever had a dream where you just woke up? One of those, I, I get those especially just before, just before it's time to get up, right? I'll have just a, a very vivid dream and I'll wake up and then I'm like going, wow, what was that all about? You know, what, what's going on? And, uh, and that was what he, and it says he had dreams, not just one. I mean, you know, they, they say if you, if you can go back, go back to sleep and go back into your dream and finish it out, you'll, it'll, you know, because you ever get one of those where you're falling, right? You know, they're crazy, right? But the, he was having these dreams and they troubled him. He couldn't sleep he, so much. And so look who he calls in. He calls in, in verse 2, magicians, conjurers, sorcerers, and Chaldeans to tell him his dreams. Now, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his three brothers, Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah, his three friends, they were wise men. Notice that the king did not call for the wise men. He called, and all of these, if you wanted to look at them, all of these are demonic sourced people. Sorcerers. We would call them today witches, conjurers, enchanters, magicians. And then we have this, this word Chaldeans. Chaldeans literally means astrologers. Now that's not astronomers. Astronomers study the stars. What do astrologers do? They read the stars and they say, As a matter of fact, <clears throat> we have this saying today that goes all the way back to here and it's in every newspaper in the United States and you know what it's called? The horoscope. And you know where it comes from? Satan. It comes from Satan. Because, because God created the stars. Right? And he named, yeah, he named them. He knows each one of those stars. And he certainly didn't say, well, when this star's over here, that's, that means you're going to have good fortune. No. That's Satan taking God's creation and blaspheming it. And we have to be careful, folks, because it's really easy to get caught up. Because, oh, that's no big deal, right? Well, I got news for you. Demons try to, oops, sorry. Wow, that went fast. How did it, okay, come on. Demons try to imitate God. And sometimes they do a pretty good job of it. You see, we, have, we and even in the way the world thinks, you, know, you, you ask people, what does the devil look like? Oh, well, he's red and he has horns and a forked tail and he carries a pitchfork. Hogwash. You know what the devil looks like? He's got a three-piece suit on, uh, probably Armani. He's got custom-made shoes. 
He's got a beautiful, nice hair. He's good looking. And he's out there to deceive you. It's like people say, oh, well, I remember first time we had some neighbors that had a Ouija board. Oh, it's just a game. No, it's not. Leave it alone. Tarot cards. Having your fortune told. They're all based in the demonic. You see, the, the, the Babylonians, they had seven major gods, but archaeologists have found over 3,000 false gods that they worshipped. 3,000. And where do those come from? They come from Satan. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 11 tells us, no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. You see, these guys that he called in were all demonic. And even Nebuchadnezzar caught on to it because he says he he says in verse 9 he says for you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed you see they said well king nobody can tell you what your dream is you need to tell us the dream They acknowledged that they couldn't tell him what his dream was. And Nebuchadnezzar says, you guys are just, you guys are stalling for time. And he tells his servant to go out, his his captain of the guard, I want you to go out and I want you to kill all these guys and I want you to kill all the wise men in Babylonia. Now, obviously, we know that Daniel, Hananiah, or Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah had not been invited to the party. They had not been invited. They didn't know anything about it. And when he shows up at their, the captain of the guard shows up at their door to kill them, they say, wait a second. Hold on. We, we just now heard that the king had a dream. So let's look at Daniel chapter 2, and we come to verse 17. And then Daniel went to his house. He's got this message. And Daniel went to the king, and he said, give give me a night. Give me a night. And in verse 17, it says, And then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, about this matter. And so they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. 
He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise men and knowledge to the men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and power. And even now you have made known to me what was requested of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, who the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. And he went and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king's presence and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Uh, as we, we look at this, we see an example of a man who followed God, followed his word. <clears throat> and what is the first thing he did? He prayed. Now, he didn't pray by himself, did he? What did he do? He went back and he got his three friends and they prayed with him. Talk about corporate prayer. You know, and we do, a lot of times what we do is we, we use prayer as a last resort, don't we? Oh, we've tried everything else and now we're going to pray. Well, Daniel prayed first. I mean, before, before he even went and asked God, God, I, I'm, I need some help here. I not only have to interpret the dream, I need to know the dream. You're going to have to give me what his dream was. And so Daniel goes back. You know, one of the reasons I love cor corporate prayer is because we get to agree together on what we need and what we're asking God. We, we have a beautiful time on Wednesdays at 3 o'clock. We gather in the library, and, and there's about eight, eight, nine, sometimes ten folks in there, all agreeing together, and we bring the list that you give us. On Monday, when, when, uh, when we get in the office, all of your prayer requests that are on your Connect card go on the prayer list. And then on Wednesday, all these folks gather. We agree together. You know, and some people say, well, I, I don't want to go to the prayer meeting because I don't like to pray in front of other people. You don't have to. If you just come and you agree what somebody else is praying, that's just as powerful as if you get up and you give a prayer. And we're not gonna, you're not standing in front of anybody. It's how God leads you. And they prayed first. And they also prayed last. Not only did Daniel pray with his three friends, and then he goes, he goes and God gives him the vision. God tells him everything. And then when the, the next morning, he gives an entire another prayer. And he thanks God because who does it come from? It comes from God. And he, he, he literally goes back to God. He says, thank you for helping me keep me alive because they're going to kill me. 
But he says, you're the one. And he even prays parts of this prayer. Verse uh, 21. He who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge and understanding. You see, he, he's part of the dream is what? There's going to be different kingdoms. We'll see that in just a minute. But he prays at the end too because God has answered his prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. See, a lot of times we forget that part, don't we? We ask God, and God answers, and then we're going, oh, great, God answered my prayer. And we forget to tell him, thank you. For this is the will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, a lot of times we can go around and we can wring our hands, what's going to happen in the next election? What if so-and-so wins? What if so-and-so doesn't? And we can, we can get all wrapped up and anxious but God has a response to that, and that response is prayer. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing. Wow. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in what? Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Daniel prayed before the first thing he did and the last thing he did. You see, God expects us to give praise and thanksgiving when he answers. Well, let's, let's move on now and see what happens in Daniel chapter 2, verses 25 through 30. Okay, come on. We're gonna, there it is. Then Arioch hurried, hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence. Why did he hurry? Because you know what his men were doing? His men were out killing wise men, killing astrologers and magicians, killing people that Daniel knew. Then Arioch hurried, hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who make the interpretation known to the king. And the king said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, easy for you to say, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its, and its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king, and said, as, the, as for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, that's Daniel, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. You know, isn't it interesting that Daniel didn't just say, oh, wise men? He included the ungodly people that he knew, that he was concerned about. Nobody... He says, nobody, but, verse 28, however, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter 
days. That's important. Underline that in your Bible if you're one of those folks that underline. This is what your dream and the vision in your mind while you were on your head. As for you, O king, while you were on your bed, your thoughts turned to what would take place in the future. And he who reveals the mysteries has made known to you what will take place. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for, for any wisdom residing in me more than any other living man, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king that you might understand the thoughts of your mind. You know, I, I love Daniel. Daniel's, it would have been real easy for Daniel to come in and say, I've got it. Stop killing people. I, I've got the answer. But Daniel gives credit where credit is due. He says, nobody, not Hananiah, Michelle, Azariah, myself, we couldn't, we couldn't give you this. The magicians, the conjurers, the diviners, they couldn't give you this. Only God in heaven. God in heaven. Now, there is a God in heaven. Now, this is interesting. Because up until the time that the Israelites were taken out of Jerusalem, you know what they called God? The God of Israel. Because where did God reside? In Israel, specifically in the temple in Israel. You remember what happened? If we, if we were to go back into the book of Kings, you would remember that when, in 1 Kings chapter 8, when Solomon built the temple and they took the Ark of the Covenant and they put it in, what happened? The Spirit of God came and descended into the Holy of Holies on the mercy seat. And that's where God lived. But Ezekiel tells us something interesting. Ezekiel is a contemporary to Daniel. And in Ezekiel chapter 10, it says this. When they were being, when the Israelites were about to be captured and taken out of Jerusalem, it says, then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. And when the cherubim departed, they lifted their wings and they rose up from the earth in the sight with the wheels inside of them. And they stood still at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house and the glory of Israel hovered over them. The glory left the temple when the Israelites were taken out. And that's why Daniel doesn't say, King, I have an image from the God of Israel. Because the God of Israel was no longer in Jerusalem. The God of Israel was now in heaven. He had departed the temple. And he says, I want to give you from the king or from the God of heaven. The other thing, 
in this chapter is the latter days. What is the latter days? That's a very specific word. And we've learned about this word, the latter days, when we were back doing the minor prophets. The latter days refers to that time from the tribulation, the beginning of the tribulation through the millennium, when Jesus Christ comes to not only save Israel, but establish his millennial kingdom, the latter days. Daniel's telling him, listen, this is not only about you and what's going to happen with you, but I want you to know this also has to do with a time that's far beyond you. When God brings his final judgment to the earth. So we're, we're looking at a time that's all future to Daniel. All of it. But we're also looking at a time which is history for us, part of it. But then there's also a part of it which is still future for us. So as you look at this, we're going we're gonna to see what Daniel gives in this dream. So turn to uh, verses 31. Ah, boy, I got it. It's a quick trigger finger this morning. All right. So let's look at verses 31 through 35. O king, you, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue, this statue, which was large and extraordinarily splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. And the head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms were silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And you continued looking until a stone was cut without hands and it struck the statue and on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze and the silver and gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that there was no trace of them was found. But the stone which struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Daniel tells him what his dream was. Nobody else could do that. Probably the king's sitting there going, okay, okay, it's coming back to me. It's coming back to me. All right, this, this sounds correct. This is what I saw. And so as Daniel looks at this, he gets uh, this vision. He, he tells him, this is the vision. Here's this statue. The, the king, uh, or, or the, the head of gold, and the head of gold represents, and we're going to find this in the, in, the, in the chapter to come. The head of gold represents who? Babylon. It represents King Nebuchadnezzar himself. 
You are the king of gold. It's a perspective of, of history. You are the king. You are the head of gold. And he reigned from 606 B.C. until 539 B.C. Daniel actually foretells the falling of the, 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 the Babylonian kingdom in chapter 5. It's forward for him. And then we see this, this silver chest with two arms. That represents the Medes and the Persians. They're in, in 539 A, uh, B.C., the Medes and the Persians are going to come in and they, they take out Babylon in a day. And they become the rulers. And it says they are the chest of silver. And they reign from 539 B.C. to 331 B.C. And it's interesting that he shows two arms because the Medes and the Persians work together on this. They had to form a, a union in order to defeat the Babylonians. And then next we come to a torso of bronze, which represents the Greek empire that rules from 331 to 168 BC. And the Greeks, they, they go all over the world until the Romans come. And the Romans are depicted by what? The legs of iron. From in 168 BC, they come, they, they overtake the, the um, they overtake the Greeks, and they become the dominating empire, even into the time of Christ. And then we have the very last piece of the puzzle, which is the feet of iron and clay, which represent the fall of the Roman Empire. And it says that they're made out of part iron and part clay. And it's also interesting that the feet have how many toes? Ten toes. Now, Revelation is going to talk about another empire, the empire of who? The Antichrist. And it says that Antichrist is represented by a head with how many horns? Ten horns. Oh, kind of an interesting comparison. Daniel and Revelation, how many years apart were they written? Right? And yet they're using the same symbology. And here we have the feet of iron and clay. Now what does iron represent? Strength, power. Matter of fact, when, uh, when World War II was over, they built a wall, didn't they, in Berlin. And what did they call that? Yeah, that was the Iron Curtain. They, have it, they had it over in China, too. The Iron Curtain. Because they were, they, they were empires. They were ruling with a hand of iron. 
Just try to get into North Korea today. Try to get into China today. Try to get into Iran today. Try to get into Russia. What happens? They rule with a fist of iron. But what, what else is there? Clay. And clay just sometimes, if you, you can grab clay, and if it's, not, if it's not fired, you can just crumble it with your hands. Do we see countries falling today? Do we see countries getting over what's happening in, in the Ukraine right now? Russia's trying to come in and, and grab power. They've already grabbed it from a few other places around there. That is a depiction. But that doesn't end there. There's the rock. The rock. And what does it say? It's not cut by man's hands. The temple was constructed by rocks that were hewn out by man and brought to the temple. This is a rock that's not hewn by man. Matter of fact, David wrote about it. Psalms 18.22. The stone which the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. Who is that? Jesus Christ. You know, when he gave Peter his name, he said, Peter, you're a little rock. Who's the big rock? Jesus Christ. He's the cornerstone. That's what everything, if you don't have the cornerstone laid out correctly in a building, you're going to have a wonky building. It's going to be, you know, you're trying to lay a straight line and all of a sudden it's kind of going on. You need that cornerstone not only to be, to be perfect, but it has to be stable. And Jesus Christ is that cornerstone. And how do we know that? Because he said so. In Luke chapter 20, he said this, but Jesus looked at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. Everyone who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces but on whomever it falls, it will scatter them like dust. What did it say about the stone that hit the statue? It said it's going to crush all of them. They will become like chaff from the summer threshing floor and the wind will carry them away so that not a straight trace of them will be found but the stone that struck the statue became great mountain and filled the whole earth and he tells all of this as he as he reveals the interpretation through the rest of this chapter but i want to read you one more passage because we're looking back, right? We can look back and we can know exactly when the Babylonian Empire fell. We know exactly when the Medio Persians fell. We know exactly when the Greeks fell. We know exactly when the Romans fell. And we know that we live today in, in a atmosphere where we have 
we have countries that are iron and we have countries that are clay. But all of that one day will disappear. We can try all we want. We can have the European Union. We can have the North American treaties. We can do whatever we want to try to hold things together. But there will come a time when God says, I'm done. I am done. And we, we find that in Revelation chapter 21. Let me read it to you. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth was passed away and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write for these words are faithful and true. Chapter 2 of Daniel was all looking forward. But what do we learn from that? We learn the sovereignty of God. Daniel said, this is what you saw, and this is what's going to happen. And guess what? It did but where does it end? It ends for us, ahead of us. Now, if the sovereign God made the Babylonians fall by the Medes and Persians, and then he made the Medes and Persians fall by the Greeks, and if he made the Romans fall, what's ahead? He's coming back. And just like he made each one of these happen, what's coming in the future is absolutely going to happen. You can take it to the bank. The chief cornerstone that is not cut by hands is coming back. And you can count on it. That should give you so much encouragement. It doesn't matter what happens in the elections. It doesn't matter what's going on. Yes, should we pray for all of those things? Should we, should we get involved? Absolutely. But God says one thing. He says, you need to let people know that I'm coming. And the Bible also says when that happens, he's going to come how? 
as a thief in the night. Be ready. Be ready. Daniel chapter 2 told King Nebuchadnezzar, be ready. But he didn't really take it. He, he acknowledged it, but he really didn't take it to heart. Well, we're going to come to our time of communion. And as we do, this is our time to remember who Jesus Christ is. He is the cornerstone. He is the truth. He's that plumb line that we can, we can hold up and say, how am I going to build my life in a world that's crooked and perverse? A world that, that says that unborn babies don't, don't deserve to live. A world that says if you get to a certain age, we don't really need to take care of you anymore. In a world that, that says, get all you can. Run over the next guy. How do we, we live by the plumb line of God? Because Jesus' words are truth. And we can count on it. See, when Jesus went to the cross, he said, I want you to know how much you're loved. I want you to know how much I care for you. I care for you so much that I am willing to lay down my very life so that you can be part of Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter, oh folks, if you, if you don't have that, if you don't have Revelation 21 right here, memorize it. Because it's our hope. On those days when life is so heavy that you're weeping, you know what he does? He wipes away every tear. When those times come that your loved one died, I was at a funeral yesterday. But you know what? In heaven, there is no mourning because there's no more death. We don't have anything to fear because we have, it's a certainty what we have in heaven. Plant your feet there. Jesus Christ said, I want to provide for you that way to heaven. And he did.